I love how our um, time together is shaped around make, making much of Christ. That's really what it's all about. And uh, from, from the songs that we sing, to our giving, to the prayers that we pray for His glory, for His will, for His kingdom to come, it's really all about Jesus. And now to this moment where we come to the preaching of the Word of God, we know that this is not any ordinary book, right? This is the Word of God, and it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This Word is alive and will change you. We believe that. But this Word, this book, on every page, we see our glorious Savior, Jesus. So even now in these moments, we, we aim to make much of Christ. When we read God's Word, His Word is reading us. So, uh, church, are you ready to hear from the Lord today? Yeah. All right, me too, me too. So we began this, uh, this year, we've begun with a fast, a, a call for prayer, focused prayer for 21 days. We're, we're uh, two-thirds of the way through, but I want to uh, encourage you to stay the course. Uh, whatever it is you've committed to, uh, don't let up now. Keep your foot on the gas and keep pressing ahead. The Lord's got more to do and more to show you this next week. And I want to ask you specifically to pray for... Um, the vision of this church for this year. What does God want to do through Mountain View Church for the year 2021? What, what are we asking Him to do? And what does He want to do? Um, I encourage you to pray specifically for our elders, for us to have the faith to take big steps and bold moves for Jesus in this coming year. All right, let's jump right back into Ephesians. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 6 in a series called Build and Battle. The main idea here is that God has called us to kingdom work, to, to build the kingdom. And while doing that, we will face a battle. We will be in war with the enemy. So we're to, we to give our lives to the building of God's kingdom. Now make no mistake, when you get serious about the work of God, the enemy gets serious about you. And he will do whatever it takes to keep you distracted and disengaged. So just like the people of God in Nehemiah's day, where they began building, they had the tools for building in one hand. They had enemies attacking and they had the, the weapons of war in the other. So I want to put that imagery in your mind that we must be a people of God who are building the kingdom and ever mindful of the battle that we must wage against the enemy. So how do we do that? Well, in the battle, you've heard it sung this morning, the battle belongs to the Lord and we fight this battle on our knees. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But the scripture tells us and Paul encourages in Ephesians 6 to suit up for battle with the armor of God. Now, Romans 13 makes it really clear in Romans 13, verse 14, when Paul specifically says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about this last week with every piece of armor we look at, whether it's the helmet or the salvation, or helmet of salvation, the 
sword of the spirit, the shield of faith that we're going to look at today. Whatever the piece of armor it is, each of them are are putting our hope and our faith and we're resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. With each piece of armor, our aim is to not become more individually strong, rather to be more dependent on his strength. So he is our mighty warrior. He has won the victory. I said this before, but it's worth saying again. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. All right. So why did Jesus come? This is at the top of your notes. If you've if you've got it, just a quick overarching two truths. Why did Jesus come? Two things the scripture tells us. In first John three, verse eight, it says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to destroy He did come as a warrior. He came to destroy the works of the devil. In 1 Peter 3.18, the Bible says that he came to deliver us to God. The righteous suffered in place of the unrighteous in order to bring us to God is what the scripture says. So we would say that Jesus came to destroy and to deliver. Now that we know the mission of our warrior, our our mighty God, I want us to look at it in a little deeper in the New Testament. All through the Old Testament, we talked about this last time, God shows himself as the strong and valiant warrior for his people. He delivers them time and time again. And we looked at some of those examples last time. In the New Testament, it's no different. We see the same warrior God, but in the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't come as people might would have expected. He wasn't like Samson. Of old, who with the jawbone of an animal whipped a whole bunch of guys. That's not the that's not the way our warrior king came. No, he didn't come to fight against flesh and blood. He came to win the war of darkness and spiritual. He came to finally crush the head of the serpent who has been distracting, deceiving And destroying people since the early days of creation. That's what Jesus came to do. And he claimed the victory when he died and rose again. So this was the final blow in the battle. It was checkmate, if you will. How many of you are chess players? Anybody in here a chess player? Okay, I'm not. I'm not a good chess player, but I think this illustration is helpful. Um, In the game of chess, when one player strategically maneuvers into a position that decisively takes the opponent's king, it's called checkmate. And you're striving the whole game to get to that point. It's a a series of check. Oh, not quite check. Check. Oh, not quite. Check. And you make all these moves until you get to the point where you get to say checkmate. Now, it's at that point that the opposition is entitled to make a few more moves if they'd like, you know, but his fate is sealed. The outcome is inevitable. And what I'm telling you is that in Christ, God has declared checkmate. The enemy is still making some final moves to try to take down a pawn or two, but his fate is sealed. The final outcome has been determined. And we live today in the already of Christ's victory and the not yet of its fulfillment. That's where we live. So here's what Paul says. Because you live here, suit up for battle. Would you stand with me and read Ephesians chapter 6? 
Because this will be our last week in this text, I'd like to read the entirety of verse 10 through 19. Paul writes and says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the devil in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And here's our text for today. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray with me. Jesus, our aim is to make much of you, to see you as our strong shield, to see you as the securer of our salvation. To see you as the sword of the Spirit. Lord, equip us for battle as we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I really want to follow the same outline that we used last time with different details. So the outline we used last time, I walked you through a who, a what, and a how. And it's basically the same thing this week, just a little bit different in the middle. So the who is Christ. And the first truth that I want to reiterate this morning and and to recall to your mind is that the Scripture is telling us to put on Jesus Christ. To put on Christ. The purpose of the whole Bible, including Ephesians, is not to make you stronger. It's to show you that in your weakness, he is strong. We look to the one who is strong, the Lord, our warrior, Jesus Christ. So the call to suit up for battle is, make it clear, the call to put on Christ. Paul makes that really very clear in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength or power of his might. So in the stories that we've been studying uh, in the book of Acts, and we are... Deep into the book of Acts, uh, just taking a little bit of a hiatus from that study. But as we've read and studied through the book of Acts, what we've seen is that the church from its beginning is a group of very ordinary people doing and teaching in the extraordinary power of the name of Jesus. They claim no power of their own. At one point, the authorities said, by what power, by what authority do you do this? Peter spoke up and he said, 
by the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. For there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. They made it super clear. On another occasion, there was a miraculous healing and the people worshipped these men. They worshipped Peter and, and his compadre. They, they worshipped them and said, this is not man, but God. And Peter and his brothers, they tore their clothes and said, no, we are just men. We're mere men like you. We don't deserve your worship. We could do nothing were it not for Christ. He is doing these things through us. It's his power, not ours. Worship him. And that has been the truth all through the scriptures. We could go on and on and on with the stories of the Bible that basically tell us the same reality that God is our warrior in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to fight for his people. And he is and wears the victor's crown. We are called to suit up for battle. And when we do, we will see the victorious salvation of our king. He's our mighty warrior. We don't trust in our own strength, as the psalmist wrote. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So today, as we continue working through these pieces of armor, what I want to do is just push against our tendency to see this as a kind of self-help narrative to help you be stronger alone. And I also want to push against this tendency for us to think, well, I guess I'm not strong enough because I don't I don't have enough faith or I'm not strong enough in battle because I don't have enough truth. Maybe if I knew more or I'm not good with the sword of the spirit because I just don't know my Bible like I should know my Bible. And we claim weakness and we think, well, if I just would put on better, I'd be stronger. And when we think that way, we miss the point. The point is you are weak and I am weak. But weakness is good if dependence is the goal. And in our weakness, we get to see His glorious strength on display. So this morning, I'm calling us together to put on Christ. Last time we talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Today, we're going to focus on the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. So we put on Christ, and Paul tells us, Put on spiritual armor. Put on spiritual armor. Paul's saying um, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, I want you to notice that little phrase. This is not just for moments when you feel the heat of the battle is most intense. No, no. In all circumstances, he says, take up spiritual armor. And the three pieces we're talking about today all have to do with your mind. Do you know that so much spiritual warfare takes place in your mind? I want to just quote some scripture to us. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's a battle going on in your mind. And the pieces of armor we're talking about today help equip you for this battle. I want to talk to us about the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. So Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Now remember, he's pairing a piece of armor with a gospel core truth. And so the pairing here works like this. A shield is a defensive piece of armor. You take cover behind it when you're under attack. Paul's giving graphic details here to tell us that with this shield, you will be able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. He actually is giving us some detail about our opponent as well. But the shield of faith puts out the burning nature of the enemy's deceptive onslaught. These darts are not just meant to puncture They're meant to burn you to the ground. This is not a game. I grew up with two older brothers and um, we were a rough bunch of boys. Uh, In our growing up years, many times the neighbors would come to play. They would get injured and they would be forbidden from coming to play again. (laughs) We were a rough bunch. And one year my, my dad gave us, I think, the best Christmas gift ever boxing gloves and uh, I I guess he thought you know they're gonna fight anyway let's put some gloves on these boys so I I don't know what the thinking was but uh, we absolutely love that gift we would uh, my brothers and I would would put on these gloves and we would you know we we loved Mike Tyson we were big you know boxing fans at the time and we would you know practice our ducking and dodging and we practice sparring with each other who can sneak in a jab here and there but, but behind the defenses you know who's better at all those techniques, but there's always a moment. There always is, right? There's a moment where everything shifted. As soon as I would land a good hard hit that would penetrate through my brother's defenses, the look in his eyes would change. And I knew playtime is over. (laughs) This brother is no longer sparring. You know, there was a little more heat behind those punches. There was a little more aggression. A little, I knew he's, he's out to kill me. <laughs> I, I knew something had happened. The, the objective was no longer to develop our skills and have a little fun. No, it was to beat each other to a pulp, which we often did. Church, you need to know this. Playtime is over. Our enemy's mission is to utterly destroy you. His darts are not from a Nerf gun. They are fiery, flaming darts, and he aims to destroy, not to wound. So shields are needed in this battle. Take note, Paul is calling everyday Christians to take up shields in all circumstances. Meaning it's difficult to know when the enemy's actually coming at you. You can't just think, well, I'm going to have a battle at 4 p.m., so I guess I better grab my shield on the way out the door. No, you better be ready. He will get you when you least expect it. You will go through this fight. Make no mistake. There are no sideline followers of Jesus 
in this battle. Sometimes we want refuge from warfare, right? We want to hide and, and escape the heat of the battle. And sometimes that's what the Lord does. He is our refuge. But um, we, want, we want life to be peaceful and easy. But God decides very often to take us through trouble and not around it. Now, why would he do that? Why would the Lord do that? He has the power to stop it or to, to reroute us. Why would he push us through it? And I want to tell you, it's because he wants us to know him as our shield. He wants us to know that he is able to absorb all the blows that you cannot. We need a shield that will protect us. And here's what we need to know. Christ is our shield. Christ is our shield. Proverbs verse chapter 30 and verse 5 says every word of God proves true. He is a shield. To those who take refuge in him. Christ is our shield. Now this is the shield of faith. Faith. Is your confidence in Christ. Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Says that Christ is the yes and amen. To all of the promises of God. So as we look to believe and trust in God, we must see his Christ as the fulfillment of God's promises. So faith is your confidence in Jesus Christ. He is the shield. Now, Contrary to popular opinion, it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the size of your God. Faith is not the power. It's the object of our faith that is the power. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. He's the one in whom we believe. Now, Jesus taught us something with this teaching about faith of a mustard seed. He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say that mountain, get into the sea and it would be thrown into the sea. Now, the point of Jesus' teaching there was not to emphasize the size of your faith. It was actually just the opposite. The point of his teaching was to say, even with the the faith of a mustard seed, if you put it in the bigness of this God, he will do it. The point of the teaching was not to say, maybe you need a little more faith. No, it was to say, maybe you need to trust deeper in this big Jesus, this big God. He's the conqueror. He's your shield. So it's not this this idea that if I just muster up a little more faith, I can do this. No, Mm -mm. If I just muster the faith in the right source of strength, who is Jesus Christ. If I rest in Him, He will do it. He will do it. He is our shield. God demonstrates His faithfulness, His promise-keeping character by sending His Son. If you doubt God, if you doubt that He will provide, if you doubt that He will heal, if you doubt that He will take care of you, You need to know what the apostle said in Romans 8 and verse 32. He said, how will he not? The one who gave us his own son. How will he not also give us all things? The validation of the character of our promise keeping God is in the fact that he gave his only son. So we realize Christ is our shield. Now, what do we do with it? How do we take it up? How do we how do we hold and and use this shield? Well, we believe the truth and extinguish the lies. Notice this is not a shield of knowledge. It's a shield of faith. 
The shield is in believing, not just in knowing. So many people today know a lot about God, but really do not believe what they know. Our culture, the world in which we live, the Bible Belt especially, is the most theologically aware atheism I've ever seen. This is the kind of knowing that is actually very dangerous. Because it's a knowing that denies the power of God. The Bible warns against this kind of knowing. I want to challenge you this morning. Do you, do you know about God or do you believe in God? There is a gulf of difference. Now, practically speaking, the specific promises of God that you know and believe are the best Kind of defense. When the enemy throws his deceptive darts at you, you can quickly raise the shield of Christ and faith in Christ. You can quickly def- deflect with the promises of God. This is what Jesus did when he was attacked in Matthew 4, when the enemy tempted him. He guarded himself. Even the scripture, Psalm 91, the enemy quoted that scripture. Cast yourself down. The angels won't let you dash your foot against a stone. The enemy misapplied and misquoted the truth of Scripture. He's very crafty. But Jesus came back with the truth of God. He came back with the shield of his faith in a promise-keeping God who sent him here on a mission. And that enemy was not going to derail him. Jesus' faith was firm in the promise of his Father. And so must ours be. So take up the shield of faith. Christ is our shield. Amen, church? So take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the control center of the body. The mind, right? The mind is central command for your physical body. One blow to the head can be devastating. Body blows, they cause damage, but you can absorb and recover. But a significant shot to the head can be fatal. So this helmet is vital in warfare. It protects your head from all sides. If you think about the way this helmet is crafted, the the Roman soldier in particular, uh, there's there's pieces covering, uh, the bulk of it covers the back of your head, but then it covers, it's got these metal flaps that cover the ears. It's even got a nose piece that keeps your eyes from, from attack. But to stop you in your tracks, the enemy will aggressively come for your mind. The mind controls your thought life. All those things that go on up here that no one knows about but you. The mind is where things settle in as what you know to be true. The mind puts action steps to what you really believe. And the enemy knows that if he can take your mind captive, he can control you. So to put on the helmet of salvation is to trust fully in all that Christ has accomplished. To rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. We do not work for our salvation. He's already accomplished it. We work from our salvation. So... Uh, Paul writes in another place in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 about this helmet. And he, he says it's the helmet of the hope of salvation. And so working from that, what is the hope of salvation? 
The hope of salvation is the confidence we need to live on mission today. I'm framing that up in terms of battle because here's what I'm saying. When we go to battle for the Lord, we need not be fearful because our salvation is secured in Christ. We do not doubt him to be true. We do not doubt him to be good to his word. What he promised, he will deliver. He is faithful. We live with the assurance that he is my salvation in life and in death. Paul wrote in Philippians 1 verse 21, he said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is a man who has put on the helmet of salvation. What do you do with a soldier like that? Do you beat him, imprison him? Okay, he'll write letters to the churches. Do you stone him? Okay, he'll disciple those through his suffering. What do you do with a man who is so firmly guarded in his salvation in the Lord that whether he's alive or dead, it's for Christ? The hope of salvation is the confidence we need to live on mission for Paul. Jesus Christ was his life. It must be that way for us. The promise of salvation goes across time. I want to kind of do a, a little play here. Uh, the uh, night before Christmas deal with the, the ghost of Christmas past and future and present and future and all that. Salvation works similarly in that there is a salvation written about our past, our present and our future. And I want to walk through those together. Salvation past. The Bible says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Past tense, right? Have been saved. The weight of past sin's guilt has been taken off of me. I've been forgiven of my past and it can no longer haunt me today. I don't know about you, but that is some good news. That is good news that I don't I don't I'm not bound by who I who I was and what I've done. I've been saved from my past. This happens to us through two beautiful uh, theological truths, one being justification. The Bible says that we are justified through the blood of Jesus, which means his blood has washed us. And now the, the judge of all creation declares you righteous. This is a decree from the judge of all time. He decrees for all who are in Christ are declared righteous. It's good. Amen, girl. It's good. We are declared righteous by the eternal judge. It's not on the basis of your works. You don't deserve that declaration. Neither do I. We have a past. But based on the righteousness of Christ. God has declared his children to be righteous. That's justification. And then another beautiful truth is adoption. We're not just justified and sent on our way. No, we are justified and adopted into the family of God. We're brought in as his children. What a loving judge who turns and becomes a good, good father. We are adopted in as his children. We are legally transferred and written into the will of God. We will be heirs of the kingdom as sons of God. 
This salvation that Christ accomplished in the past, you have been saved. It has eternal benefit with an everlasting inheritance. So my guilt, the guilt of my sin has been forgiven. That's beautiful. We're free from the guilt of sin. Salvation present. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, listen, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now listen, this is good. God saved me from my past, but God is saving me in my present. He's changing me. He's, he's calling me out of darkness. From the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit enters a believer and begins to effect change. Salvation is good news for you today because Christ has freed you from the power of sin. Right? The punishment of sin was your past. The present. The power of sin on your todays. You're delivered and free from the binding power of sin today. Here's what I mean by this. The good news of the gospel is you don't have to be who you were 10 years ago. Because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. You don't have to be who you were five years ago, one year ago, yesterday. You can be new today. The mercies of God are new every morning. This beautiful theological truth is called sanctification. It begins at salvation, but it continues through our walk and journey with Jesus. And God is, as he said, completing the good work he began in us. I'm so thankful that I'm not who I used to be. I'm not yet who I want to be, but God is working it in me. Because of the salvation of Jesus, I have great hope that I will not be the same tomorrow that I am today. God is saving me. Now to the world, that's foolishness. But to us, it's the power of God. Now that's salvation present. Salvation future. Listen to this verse, Romans 5, 9. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We will one day be set free, not just from the punishment and the power of sin, but from the presence of sin altogether. Listen, the Bible promises no more death, no more tears, no more sin, no more hurting, no more pain. No, none of those things will be in eternity with the Father. God is saving us. He's making all things new as it was in the beginning. He is saving us for a great future. We'll be in the presence of the one true God. And we will once and for all be delivered from all sin. That's the good news. You can be freed from your past. You can be different tomorrow. And you can be saved forevermore. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's the helmet of salvation. You put on that helmet and you put all of your faith and confidence in Christ. Not in you, in Christ. Let him guard your mind with those realities. When the enemy comes at you and says, look at what you've done. You say, yes, it's true, but you know what? I'm not who I was. And God is forgiving me today. And he will deliver me forever. Here's my shield. Here's my helmet of salvation. Get away. 
You speak the truth. You hold tight to Christ who is our salvation. A soldier need not be afraid to die when he's in the hands of an almighty God. Last Sunday, I preached a funeral. I left here, grabbed a quick bite, and went and preached a funeral for uh, a very sweet neighbor that lived next door to us. We've come to know them in the few years we've lived there. We've become friends. And uh, it's challenging. It's hard to lose somebody, but it seems that death is all around us, right? From the hospital, uh, my friend had tubes in his face and all kinds of machinery. He couldn't talk. We wanted to FaceTime, but we couldn't do it because we couldn't communicate. But he texted me from the hospital. Uh, with all the sickness of his body, his mind still super sharp. And he texted me from the hospital, and these were his words. Hey, neighbor, today will be my last. I've never gotten a text like that before. See, the doctors had told him these machines are all that's keeping you alive. And he had told them before, I, I don't want to live that way. He and his wife had made that agreement. I don't want to live like that. So they said, well, when do you want to do this? He said, I want to spend some time with my family. But yeah, let's do it this afternoon. So he texted me. He said, today will be my last day. thought a lot about that text. Texted him back that day uh, and asked him about his relationship with Jesus. I said, uh, how sure are you that you're ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to see him today? I mean, have you put all of your hope in Jesus Christ? Wanted to be kind of quick, but wanted to be like Laser focused. I mean, if you if you know you're about to die, let's just get to the heart of what matters most. I stared at my phone watching those three little dots, you know, as he's texting back and just praying, Lord, please. Why have I not had this conversation with him before? Why have we not talked about this? Oh, God, please don't let it be too late for him. Please, Lord, please. And then the text comes through. I'm as sure as I'm messaging you right now. I wonder if you knew today was going to be your last. How certain are you of your salvation? Is it up to you? Are you a good enough person? Have you done more good than bad? You're not as bad as that guy or that girl. I mean, is that how you're weighing it out? That in eternity, you know, God will he'll see the good, the bad. You know, he'll he'll know what to do. It'll it'll all work out in the end. Is that your hope? No hope there. The only true peace is is if Christ is your salvation. It's not about your righteousness. It's all about his. So if your hope is in Christ alone, I want to tell you it is secure. The Bible says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 1. In Jesus, we have a hope that will not disappoint. Romans 5, 5. Our hope is not wishful thinking. It rests firmly on the promises of promise keeping God. He is faithful. If you've never trusted in Christ, 
Confess your sin to Him. Repent. Turn to Christ. Look to Him as the one who died in your place, rose from the dead, and now offers to you a gift of salvation if you will trust fully in Him. And then surrender your life to His control. This is the gospel. Repent and believe in Jesus. The call of the gospel is not to know some things. It's not a shield of knowledge. It's not a helmet of maybe salvation. It's not just to know truth. It's to repent and believe and trust in Christ. So take up the helmet of salvation. Lastly, the sword of the spirit. The word of God. The sword is the primary offensive weapon of the soldier. It's used to defend and attack. The sword strikes fear in the heart of the enemy. He knows it's dangerous. He's going to stay away. If, you're, if you break out that sword, he's, he's backing up. He knows that's dangerous. But without the sword, the enemy has no fear of you. It's only a matter of time before he penetrates your defensive armor. And he will keep coming until he does. But the sword keeps the enemy at bay, keeps him on alert, keeps him on his toes. And the sword advances the mission. Paul says our sword is the word of God. This is the sword of the spirit. Remember, the word of God is living and active. We've quoted this passage from Hebrews before. It's sharper than any two edged sword. There's there's no better resources what we're seeing. It's not your words or my words that matter. They're weak. But the word of God is strong and firm and lasts forever. We must know, believe, proclaim the word of God. The first thing I want you to know. Jesus is the word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God. When God said, let there be light, Jesus was in the making of light. The spoken Word of our God, the living, ruling, reigning Word of God is Christ. There is no way to know Christ apart from knowing him through his word. We come to know and believe through the scriptures. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So Jesus is the word. Now, what do we do with this sword? What if we know that? What do we do with it? Well, believe and then speak the word. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1, 16. If you want to see God work in power, use his weapon. Speak the gospel to yourself. I can't tell you how many mornings I have to preach the gospel to myself because I'm not believing. I wake up and I'm just like, oh, man, this is this is a terrible day. I'm, I've gotten off to a bad start. This is not going to be good. And the Lord has to go, no, no, mm -mm. I'm with you. I've got you. You're you're in me. We're going to truck through this day. We're going to accomplish things for the kingdom. I have to, to trust and believe the gospel, to preach it to myself. Do that. Believe this gospel. If you don't believe it first, you won't speak it last. But believe it first and then speak it to your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, all the people God put you around. Why do you think you're there? To 
give him this. To give them the only truth that can really save and really change their lives. Everybody in this life is looking for something. They're looking for hope somewhere. Tell them where they can find it. His name is Jesus. Now Paul concludes this passage by asking for prayer for himself. And what he says is pray for me that words may be given. And that I may be bold enough to proclaim the gospel. Even while I'm suffering in this prison. Also. We should pray just like that. So thirdly, put on all of this through prayer. Same outline we talked last week. Prayer is how we take the posture of humility. And if God is made strong in our weakness, then we need to fight this battle on our knees. Prayer is how we say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. We pray through each piece of armor. We affirm the truths. We confess our dependence on Christ. Remember, weakness is good if dependence is the goal. So prayer wins the war of self-denial, taking up our cross. And then having taken up the cross, you're ready to take up his armor. So church, what I want to do is just lead you in the same way I did last week. I want to lead you through some prayer. We'll finish like this today. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And as I pray, would you let these prayers just resonate in your heart and in your mind? Let them uh, serve to equip you with how to pray through the pieces of armor. How do you pray on spiritual armor? So we pray on the shield of faith. Lord Jesus, you are my shield. I trust fully in you. I look nowhere else for refuge. You are a shield to those who take refuge in you. So I run to you. I know the enemy wants to cripple me with doubt, but my faith is strong because you are strong. I may only have a little faith, but my faith is in a great God who has fought and won for me the victory. You said a mustard seed type faith can do powerful things. So, Lord, I believe that you will use me today to build your kingdom for your glory. You alone can do it. Lord, guard my mind from doubt and help me to believe, not just know things about God, but to trust and believe, to pull up and put on the shield of faith. Lord, I pray on the helmet of salvation. Jesus Christ, you are the rock of our salvation. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, you've saved me from the guilt of my sin. You set me free from the power of sin today. And you will save all who believe from the presence of sin eternally. I love your salvation. I rest in the hope you have secured for me. Today, Lord, I suit up. With the helmet of salvation, guard my mind from doubt and fear. Place my confidence in Christ today. Lord, I pray to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Father, your Word is truth. You are sanctifying us by the truth. Thank you for revealing Jesus to me through the truth. 
through the word, you've cut me to the heart. You've made me new. You've helped me to know and believe the scriptures. Help me, God, to see Christ on every page. Give me the words to say and the boldness to say them to those around me who need Jesus. Lord, please help me to learn to handle the word of God faithfully. You've given me such a great weapon. Help me not to keep it in its sheath, but to pull it out. To use your word to accomplish your mission. Today, Lord, I'm taking up the sword of the Spirit. Jesus, our desire today is to be a people well equipped for battle. By that, I mean, help us to put on Christ, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, our mighty warrior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.